This is Downtown the Podcast. Welcome in to episode number 80. Rich Kimball, Carrie Haskell here with you from our Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine. Our daily show, Downtown, originates from here Monday through Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Zone Radio stations of Maine. Streaming audio on our website at downtownwithrichkimball.com. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. A couple of very interesting conversations coming up this week. Actress Jane Seymour talks about her work in the new season of The Kaminsky Method and looks back on some of her uh, most famous roles through the years. And in the second half today, we'll also talk with a comedy legend, Phil Proctor, a founding member of the comedy troupe The Fire Sign Theater, who's still got a lot of things going and a funny guy to talk with. But let's get things underway. By visiting with actress Jane Seymour, you know her, of course, from Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. She was a Bond girl, solitaire, back in the 1970s, and has had quite a remarkable career as both an actress and producer and a designer and artist as well. Here's our conversation with Jane Seymour. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Uh, love the new season of The Kaminsky Method so much. and. <laughs> I understand that uh, when you went in to meet with Chuck Lorre, they were considering you for a couple of different roles, but but this has to feel good. They told you you maybe weren't old enough to be Alan Arkin's love interest. Well, I I showed them my birth certificate, and uh, I (laughs) said, I can age up and he can age down, and we'll meet in the middle. So um, that's what we did. And um, I, I persuaded Chuck that, you know, with a gray wig, um, that I would definitely be able to play that character. And uh, actually, the, the fun part was when I showed up first day of shooting with my wig, um, Michael Douglas, who's known me for 40 years and had seen me at a table read two days earlier, uh, actually put his hand out and said, Hi, I'm Michael. And I went, Yeah, it's Jane. And he went, What? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't recognize me. So that's when I felt really good about it. And Alan and I... You know, really kind of, we got the sparks going. It was great chemistry. And uh, and then Chuck just decided he loved this relationship. So he wrote more and more for us. Well, and I, I love the relationship. I, I love the first season of the show, but the great additions to the cast of, of you and Paul Reiser, the wonderful appearance by uh, Kathleen Turner. It's like there's even more depth to this season. And the scenes with you and Alan Arkin are so beautiful, so so poignant and so very real. Yes, that's what everyone's been saying, and I, I must admit, uh, I, I love season two even more than season one, and um, I don't think, you know, I was just thinking recently in my career, I haven't had so many people, you know, picking up the phone or texting me or emailing me or writing to me about how much they're loving it. Um, you know, people I've known for many, many years, and I've done millions of different films, but um, this one's really, you know, hit a nerve with people. People really love this character, and and I do too, so it's been very satisfying for me. I understand too that uh, Alan Arkin had uh, some unusual preparation for your <laughs> first love scene. Oh my goodness! Well, what happens is you you sit down at a table read, and you have no idea what you're going to see in the next episode because Chuck doesn't tell you what's going to happen next. And we're reading it, and um, he came to me and said, "Would would you would would you mind um, having brunch with my wife?" And I, I said. <laughs> I'd love to do that. And he said, yes, yeah, so we, we, we go to this, we, we, you'll have lunch, you'll brunch there. I, I think it's good that, that you guys meet. And so basically he wanted me to meet his wife and for her to feel comfortable that I was no threat whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. 
so cute. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's got to be wonderful. I can imagine that table read to look around and, and see the level of, of not just talent, but experience in that room. I can't imagine there's a better cast on television anywhere. It is pretty pretty wild. I mean, you know, Paul Reiser is uh, extraordinary all by himself, and obviously Michael and Alan and and you know and Sarah and Lisa Edelstein and oh my goodness, I mean, wherever you look, and the young ones, they're fantastic too. It's um, it, it must be really fun for Chuck because he just he can throw anything out there, and everyone is just so happy to work with him. And it's written so brilliantly that, that we're all in the most fun playground you could ever be as adults. We're talking with Jane Seymour here on Downtown. And when you came to comedy relatively late in your career, was Wedding Crashers really the first full-on comedy that you did? I think so, that anyone would have seen. I, I did some comedic bits and pieces in Dr. Quinn, and I did a film at Chevy Chase years ago called Oh, Heavenly Dog. But, no, I would say Wedding Crashers was were, you know, surprised everyone. They went, what? <laughs> and then I got my own show. I, I think it was called, um, I can't remember what it was called now, but I, I had a a, um, a comedy show there for a while, Three Camera. And um, and then I've been just doing a lot of comedy. I, I've got a movie coming out next year called Friendsgiving, which everyone's telling me is hilarious, in which I play Marlon Ackerman's um, Swedish mother, who's a bit of a crazy cougar. Um, and real, and I actually met her in real life as well. So, um, and I did, um, I did a movie with um, De Niro called War with Grandpa. But yes, a lot of comedy. But I, I, um, I love comedy. I, I think I have a sort of natural comedic timing. But I really find, um, I find comedy and drama to be very similar. Really, it's just you know one is. Um, it makes you laugh because it's so real that you can't believe it's actually happening. I, I found this very interesting. One of our favorite guests on the show is uh, Roseanne Cash, and I didn't realize until recently uh, that her dad, Johnny, and uh, the late June Carter Cash are your twins' godparents. Uh, uh, Johnny's godparents, yes. Yeah, so I have twins, Johnny and Chris, and Johnny Keach is Johnny Cash's godson, and he's actually been in Nashville the last four years writing, singing and writing and playing, and he's on his way back home to do a solo career here based out of California, but yes. Um, and the other one, uh, twin, was uh, Christopher Reeves, um, late Christopher Reeves' godson. So um, Johnny and June were on Dr. Quinn, I think, at least three or four times. Mm. The first time we worked together, um, Johnny and June loved me and then my, um, my then husband, James Keach, and um, and told us that someone was going to one day make a movie of their life, and uh, they didn't trust anyone, and uh, they felt that no one would know the real story, and they trusted us. So they asked us, and they gave us the rights, and they said, look, will you help us tell our story? And that ended up being Walk the Line. And yeah, that worked out pretty well, too. Uh... And then, But thanks to that and the fact that we... Uh, you know, at the last minute, Jim Mangold was able to get it made when, you know, we'd been working on it for about 11 years. And, you know, we really did it for them, for Johnny and, and June. Um, and that's how I met Roseanne, of course, through them. And I met, we really got to be um, like members of their family. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times we stayed with them in Hendersonville and that house that's no longer there and in Jamaica. And uh, we we became very, very close. Um, I, I I just, it was fantastic. And then after that, we made um, the Glenn Campbell movie, I'll Be Me. 
And uh, the same kind of things happen now with uh, the Campbell family. We're very close. They're family to us. You mentioned Dr. Quinn. Did you have any idea at the time what an iconic show that would be that continues to be watched by, by generations of people? It's unbelievable. I think it still plays in 98 countries. It plays every day in France and I think in America and in a lot of countries. Um, no, I, I don't think anyone had any idea how successful it was going to be, especially since when they made it. I was pretty much guaranteed that when I signed for five years that it would only be a movie of the week and it would never make it as a series on the, the understanding that a woman in the lead wouldn't work, <laughs> a, a medical show wouldn't work, anything that had family values or was in any way inspirational. And God forbid it should be, you know, a period piece, let alone a Western. So we kind of ticked all the boxes for things that wouldn't work. And of course, that's what people wanted. They wanted something that spoke to the human condition. And I think it was so relevant today, what we did then, because what happened then in 1876 um, is what's happening today. It's, you know, pollution and, 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 and people not understanding or being tolerant of other people's belief systems or cultures and, um, you know, choices in medicine and, 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 you know, what you should or shouldn't read, censorship, and um, and then women's liberation. So it, it's just, um, it, it, it could, it's, it's such an, it was an amazing show. It still is. It, it, it holds up very well. Well, and you were ahead of your time as a, a strong, independent woman battling the patriarchy of those times. And I have to think you didn't have to look far for a role model and in inspiration. Your mother had such a remarkable story. Absolutely. My mother was uh, born in Holland, Dutch-born, and uh, she married her first boyfriend when she was 20 and went to live in Dutch East Indies in Indonesia on a tea plantation. Um, she had a very a terrible marriage, which she escaped, and, and having just escaped it, the war broke out, and they incarcerated all the um, women and uh, children and boys under the age of 12 in these camps. And my mother was in three of those camps for three and a half years, um, survived that, and uh, and really kind of came out of there with this, uh, what she taught my sisters and I, which is in life, everyone has challenges, and the natural instinct is to keep it to yourself and not let anyone know how you're hurting or what's going on. But if you can accept what's happened, however difficult, open your heart and reach out to help someone else. There's always someone worse off than you. And by doing that, um, you find purpose. And when you find purpose, you can find love in your heart and the ability to receive and give and receive love in your life. Very well and said. And that became the open heart. So <laughs> open hearts, jewelry, open hearts, images that I paint um, and sculptures that are now in public places. And, of course, the nonprofit Open Hearts Foundation um, that we uh, award people and raise funds for um, people who do extraordinary things, having usually been through something um, very traumatic in their lives and realizing that there was a need that they could fill to help others. You mentioned Christopher Reeve, and when I mentioned the people that we were talking with you today, so many people brought up Somewhere in Time. I love oh, yeah. the movie, and it's one of those that people go back to and, and watch on a regular basis. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's not uncommon for me to hear that people have watched it 15 to 30 times. Um, it's not uncommon for me to hear that people play the music when they either get married or having giving birth or you know something like that. Um, I just came back from Mackin Island from the Grand Hotel. They have a, a, a 39th anniversary, I think, and 
they uh, people go there and they dress up and they you know pretend to be me and Chris and characters from the show and um and everyone discusses the movie and um and my, I brought uh, three of my kids and and um, my granddaughter with me this time and we had the most amazing experience but it it's a movie that um transcends time and place i mean it's just a, a beautiful little movie uh, for anybody who doesn't know, too, you had a very successful and have had a very successful stage career. You were in the original Broadway cast of Amadeus with uh, Sir Ian McKellen, Tim Curry, and a good friend of mine had a small role in that, Mark Torres, back in the oh, early yeah. 80s. Oh, yes, he was great. Um, yes, it was a, f a fantastic experience. And, you know, uh, I've always kind of broken all the rules, as you can tell when you started asking me about the comedy <laughs> as well as playing, you know, leading ladies. But I was always told that, if you're an actress, you either had to be television, film, theater, or radio. You couldn't do all of them. And God forbid you'd do a commercial. <laughs> and I, I've, I've done all of them, so and continue to. So, uh, you know, I I just feel if you're if you're an actor or an actress, you know, you can you do all of it. And you're able to express your art in other ways as well. You've been painting since you were a little girl. I have, and but I took up painting very seriously when I turned 40, when I'd gone through a terrible divorce, lost everything financially and emotionally and, and physically, and that was just before I did Dr. Quinn, and I um, gave my last money that I had to um, an organization to prevent and help people who've been abused, children, uh, called Child Help, and um, there was... Um, you know, a silent auction thing and, a, and an artist who was offering to do a drawing of your kids in, in return for money for the organization. And so I was thinking my mother's concept, and I thought, well, that's something that's definitely worse off than what I'm going through. And um, the artist came to my house and to do the, the little drawing and saw my finger paintings and offered to teach me watercolor. And the next thing I knew, I couldn't stop painting. I've shown at the Guggenheim. I've had... Um, um, for a, um, I was asked to do a painting for private issue, a Discover Card, a Corbel Champagne, I mean, fabrics, um, you know, I mean, now the, the jewelry, open hearts jewelry. And so uh, art was a healing for me. And now it's become a very big part of my life all, all, you know, in, in terms of design and products as well. And I even have designed a ballet <laughs> for Houston Ballet. Uh, called five poems so I, I i have a very i have an interesting career i i don't just do one thing no you don't well that goes back to your roots you began as a dancer right exactly i uh, well i began with flat feet and a speech impediment so for <laughs> for so to to solve the flat feet i was put into ballet and then i suddenly excelled and and the speech impediment i ended up becoming an actress uh, pronouncing exactly what i couldn't pronounce which was my r which is, of course, the fundamental of speaking American. So um, <laughs> don't tell me I can't do something because, you know, it, it's dangerous. I tend to do it. Jane, thank you so much. We love you on the new season of The Kaminsky Method. It's been wonderful to talk with you. Thanks for making time for us today. Thank you. Jane Seymour here on Downtown, the podcast. When we return, we'll talk with a comedy legend, Phil Proctor, up next 
on Downtown, the podcast. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Aliens. Every year at this time, the National Space Administration requires all aliens to register. Forms are available at your local post office. Those without forms must appear, however briefly, at the Bureau's Astral Offices on Nooker Street. Aliens. <laughs> Little taste of Fire Sign Theater. Our next guest, a founding member of that brilliant comedy troupe and still got a lot of things going, including uh, his recent book, Where's My Fortune Cookie, podcasts, an email newsletter, and so much more. We had a great time, as always, talking with comedy legend Phil Proctor. You've become bionic since the last time you were on. That's right. I now have a pacemaker uh, defibrillator implanted in my upper left uh, corner of my chest. Uh, and, and thank goodness it hasn't really had to work very hard since they put it in. I'm glad to hear that. Now, you, you can still use the microwave. That's just, that's just urban legend, right? I can't use the microphone. Oh, That's the only dear. problem, so I don't work anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I know better than that. You're you're still the hardest working man in show business. Well, you know, it's it's true. Uh, I'm almost 80 years old. I've been in the business since I was nine, doing live television, and uh, and I've been I've had a very lucky career, a very successful career. And of course, the the craziest thing, as you just played, everything you know is wrong. <laughs> the opening to a Fireside Theater album. And for those uh, young punks out there who have no idea what I'm talking about, we were kind of the Monty Python of America before there was Monty Python, okay? And we, we were over the length of a 50-year career doing records primarily. Uh, we, and we created the long-form comedy record uh, as, a, as a new form of, of listening to records because we wanted people to listen to them over and over and over again. And over the, the length of these years, we were nominated uh, for three Grammys. And the Library of Congress last year purchased the Firesign Theater archives for half a million bucks. And you also warped my childhood, but that's neither here nor there. I know. I know. Not responsible. <laughs> so basically, <clears throat> uh, we've lost two of our members, uh, Peter Bergman and uh, my dear friend Phil Austin. <clears throat> but David Osman and I are still performing. And in fact, we'll be in Hawaii in April on the Big Island doing a show we called The Art of Radio. Adio. Adio. <laughs> and uh, another short uh, a children's piece, children's audio piece. So that's, that's happening. And then I also uh, wrote a play with a fellow named uh, Sam Joseph called God Help Us, starring Ed Asner as God. Of course! And it's touring the U.S. and Canada uh, to very enthusiastic, sold-out houses. Well, so I, I, I wanted amazing. to I wanted to mention that to you because uh, actually uh, Ed is a good friend of the show, and we're bringing Ed to town next spring to do God Help Us right here. Wow, that's terrific! Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, uh, Ed has been an absolute angel to us, and uh, and, and he's still got such 
wonderful comic energy. He's such a dynamic man to watch. And, and really, he is the perfect casting for this silly God character that we've created. Well, and I just read the script. His daughter, Liza, sent it to me, and I was reading through it last night. And, man, it's great and so perfectly timely for what's going on in the world today. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Rich. We're really, we, we tried with this play, and I think we succeeded, judging from the audience responses, to give a fair and balanced look at the arguments on either side uh, between the divided factions that threaten to tear our country apart. You see, God is concerned that if we don't come to some kind of an understanding with one another, we may throw the entire universe out of whack. So he calls a two pundits, uh, a woman who's conservative and a man who's liberal, brings them together in purgatory uh, to, to debate for him the questions of the day. And it turns out, of course, that this couple was a couple back in, 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 uh, in college, and that they have a, a real personal history together, and that plays a role uh, during the course of the unfolding of this uh, very interesting play. Yeah, we're looking forward to that coming up in April. You also wrote a wonderful book, and the last time we were on, we talked about Where's My Fortune Cookie. That became a podcast which was hugely successful, uh, won several awards, and was even considered for a Grammy. Well, it, it is. It, we don't know if yet if we will be. Yes, we're, cons we're being considered for a Grammy. And on the 27th, I'll find out if indeed I'm in the running uh, for it. I kind of hope I will be. But I had a, a very strange experience. Uh, I ended up not being able to vote for my own record. Okay, It's been released, I should explain, in a five-CD set, which is available on Amazon.com. Uh, but it was originally, as you pointed out, a, a very popular podcast. So I, I, well, I naturally went online to, to vote for myself for a nomination. But I couldn't get my password to work. <laughs> right? How many of you out there have had similar experiences? <laughs> but never anything like mine. I couldn't vote for myself. So if I lose by one vote, oh. it will be my own fault. Did you try password as your password? I should have. <laughs> I should have. I should have tried password backwards. Back password. That would have been fine. But anyway, be that as it may. And it was. Uh, the book is selling well still. And, uh, um, I got I got getting wonderful responses on Amazon.com from readers. Uh, they've rated it, you know, a hundred million stars, and uh, it, it's really fun to know that it's out there and that people are enjoying it. Uh, and and the stories that I have to tell, of course, are still going on. So there might be a sequel, you know, for people again who don't quite know what that book is about. It's about the, the psychic history that kind of led me through my life and my experiences in show business and the amazing coincidences that happened to me along the way. So if you're all interested in that invisible world and how it affects you, uh, you should give the book a read. I think it will be not only astounding to you, but it may encourage you to listen to your inner voices. It may help you find your own path towards success and love and, and laughter. The book is wonderful, and, and you've worked with everybody in the business through the years. And I, I wanted to bring up uh, one of the people that you knew quite well, you uh, became very good friends with uh, from an early age and, and just passed away recently. Can you talk a bit about the great Peter Fonda? Yeah, it, it, 
Peter was one heck of a great guy. Uh, you know, his his, his uh, sister, of course, is also still an amazing power out there. And, and Peter only became politicized later in his life. And when I knew him, we were pretty much outrageous stoned hippies, okay? <laughs> and what happened, which is explained in the book, is that I had done... I'd been fated to meet a young actor named Brandon DeWilda. By young, I mean he was the boy in a movie called Shane. Right. Shane, come back, Shane! <laughs> and he became, you know, a Hollywood star. And uh, we, we uh, became pals because I understudied him on an off-Broadway show. To make a long story short, we became very close friends. We drove across country together. And he had an entree to Peter Fonda, I guess through his movie work. Uh, I mean, Brandon's movie work. So we ended up... Uh, visiting him at his his beautiful uh, hidden estate, and we all became we became like the three musketeers, and then started hanging out together and uh, going do, do, going to the music scene together because Brandon was trying to change his career into a musical career, and we met uh, all kinds of incredible people, including of course we were hanging out with with uh, Crosby with David Crosby all the time, and I always wondered why uh, we we would hang out with David. Besides, you know, singing together and having fun. And I found out when I, I saw uh, Crosby's documentary, which is out in theaters, yeah. that, that, that uh, um, uh, the director of Easy Rider, uh, why is his name escaping me? Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper was, wanted to create his character, to base his character on David Crosby. So right. basically, because I knew Hopper too, Fonda and Hopper and Brandon and I would be hanging out with Crosby, and Hopper was taking notes. Okay? <laughs> and if you see that performance uh, again, you see the, the film Easy Rider, <laughs> you'll see David Crosby epitomized <laughs> and somewhat exaggerated, but not much, by, by Dennis Hopper. So anyway, uh, we, we hung out a lot together. And at, at the time, he was, of course, doing research. For Easy Rider, which originally was called Captain Marvel, right? Because that was going to be his character, but of course uh, the Marvel Comics wouldn't let him use that name, so uh, he got the name from Terry Southern. And Easy Rider is a guy who lives off of a prostitute, okay? Mm. And so in other words, the Easy Life. Uh, and and so uh, we he was doing research on this movie, Peter, and we all went down together to the Sunset Strip in the '60s when uh, they were trying to impose a curfew on the young people to prevent them from basically smoking pot in the streets and protesting the Vietnamese War, okay? They wanted to stop that political activism. So they, they called a curfew, and of course everybody, all the kids, we all came down there to defy the police. And we had the police, L.A. police on one side, and the uh, sheriffs on the other side, and they did one of these pincer movements and, you know, beat everybody up. And I was writing for a paper called the East Village Other, so I held my press card up, and it scared the police, and they left me alone. <laughs> but during that event, uh, I sat down on an open issue of the L.A. Free Press as part of a sit-down, you know, we're, we won't move protest. I pulled it out from under my butt, and I had sat on Peter Bergman's face. <laughs> Peter Bergman was the guy I went to Yale with who wrote the lyrics, for two musicals I starred in, written by Austin Pendleton. Booth is back in town, and Tom Jones, where I played the, the, the title role. And I had not I had no idea what Peter was up to. 
and it, it, it was a picture of him interviewing some returning war veterans, and it said KPFK newsman, Peter Bergman. I went, oh, he's with KPFK. So the next day, after we bailed uh, Brandon out and, 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 and tended to Peter's uh, baton wounds, I called up uh, Peter Bergman, and he said, uh, hi, Phil, I'm the Wizard of Oz. Why don't you come down and play with me? I said, what, what, Peter, have you gone off the deep end? He said, oh, let me explain. I do a show on KPFK from like 10 to 12 or 1 called Radio Free Oz, and I'm the Wizard of Oz. It's a very popular counterculture call-in talk show, which he kind of invented. So I go down there that night, and I meet these two other guys, Phil Austin and David Osmond, who are associated with the show. And we discovered that we're all, since the show is based on New Age ideas and astrology and tarot cards and all that, we discovered that we were all fire signs. I'm a Leo, two Sagittarians, David and Peter, and an Aries, unfortunately, Phil Austin. <laughs> so Bergman immediately gets this idea to call us the Oz Fireside Theater, and we all started improvising together and found that we were like, like long-lost brothers, or, or jazz musicians, you know, who had, had gigged together over the years. Our improvs were fast and furious and funny. We all had a very similar kind of absurdist, surreal sense of humor. We were all fans of a thing, a thing called The Goon Shows with Spike oh, Milligan yeah. and Peter Sellers, which was very surrealistic comedy in England. Uh, the Monty Python uh, approached everything. We had it. We loved it. And, and before we knew it, we had a record contract to do our first record, uh, Waiting for the Electrician or someone like him. Uh, it, and, and it took off from there uh, until finally we did, this, we did this record called Nick Danger, Third Eye, which everybody could relate to, okay, because it was a, a takeoff on detective movies and detective radio and all that stuff. And that became a big success for us and kind of put us on the map. And then we went on to make other records like Don't Crush That Dwarf, Hand Me the Pliers, you know, how can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere at all? And a very interesting one, uh, I think we're all bozos on this bus. Now, stop me if I'm talking too much. Not at all. Good. I know, because the best thing that a radio host can do is not have to talk. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just get out of the way. Get out of the way. So anyway, I think we're all bozos. Each one of these records is like a futuristic prediction. And that's why they're still pertinent today. You can listen to our, our albums uh, in downloads, uh, and, and you'll find them just as pertinent and predictive as they were then. So the, what we tackled in uh, Bozos, I think we're all Bozos on this bus, was the computer revolution. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, the early 70s. And we predicted all kinds of things about the future of computers. Now... I'm going to play you something. I'm going to ask Siri a question and see what she says. Hold on. Let me find it. Come on, Siri. All right. This is Worker speaking. Hello. Hello, Aklem. What function can I perform for you? LOL. All right. I'm Clem. It's the character that we created right. for this record. <laughs> I was a worker who had been fired, and so I hack into the mainframe computer Dr. Memory, direct readout memory, and I plant a virus that brings down this entire future fair, which the government has organized in order to make people feel that they're living in Disneyland, okay, and forget their problems, their troubles. 
So why is it on on the iPhone? Well, I did voices for a lot of these animated films at Pixar and Disney. <clears throat> One of the first ones I did was A Bug's Life. And uh, Dave Osman was in that too, by the way, another Fireside member. And so we go up to this big party that they had at the uh, Capitol building in uh, San Francisco or something. I don't know where the heck it was. You go, you've been to one party, you've been to them all. <laughs> and uh, you walk down red carpet, you walk down them all. So anyway, there I meet there Steve Jobs. And Steve says to me, I'm a big fan of yours. And I said, well, you're tall, but uh, I, I, I didn't know that. All right. Then when we were gathering our material together to send to the Library of Congress a couple of years ago, we're going through all of these photographs. Our archivist, Taylor Jessen, sends this, a picture of this around to us. He says, look what I found. We were signing records at a record store in Berkeley, and among the people who were posing with us was a young Steve Jobs. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that wild? That is amazing. So he put that in there as an homage to the Fireside Theater, because when he, he heard our record, it inspired him to continue to develop uh, the computer for home use. So I'm happy. that's another happy story I could share. With and, and I was inspired a different way. Uh, when I'm not on the radio, I, I teach high school, and, and we had a we had a pep rally a couple of weeks ago, and as I headed to it, the ah. first person I saw, I had to say, where's your school spirit? <laughs> but nobody replied properly by saying, in the rumble seat, want to snort. <laughs> that's right. Eat it raw. Raw, raw, raw. That's the that's spirit the we spirit. had here. Yeah, that was uh, Principal Poop. Yes. He was heading that, that pep rally. Pep pills, pep pills, pep pills. More pep pills. You see? Still contemporary. Yes, I'm <laughs> hoping someday to get a job, but more science high. Yeah. Now, I want to mention uh, two other things that are going on, which I think are pertinent to the to the time. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to be, have to be very vague about these things. Okay. Because they're, neither of them has been released yet. <clears throat> I told you that I, co I collaborated with a fellow named uh, Samuel Warren Joseph on our play, God Help Us, which I hope you can all get tickets to and enjoy when it comes up in April. Get them now. Yes. Going fast. <laughs> uh, we just finished, just yesterday, we finished uh, the final mm, chapters of a, of a book we're putting out. Uh, the title, which I, I'm not supposed to tell you now, but it's basically uh, Talking Points for Liberals. <laughs> It'll be a little handbook of Talking Points for Liberals in a dialogue, a family dialogue, which is both funny and a little surreal, but also based on a lot of facts. And, and, and we're hoping to get Tom Hartman or someone like him to write a foreword, because it's basically for li a liberal audience. We're not aiming for the, the uh, right-wing audience, but they may find it interesting because it is, it's talking points and questions and answers and things. Now, so that will be coming out, we hope, very soon. I also worked on a movie I can't talk about, which is a contemporary political satire that blends elements of horror movies <laughs> with contemporary people, personalities, and events. Okay, and people like Robert De Niro will be doing cameos in it. Uh, I can't really talk about some of the other famous people that are in it because it's it's just being wrapped now. It's kind of a top secret project in many ways, but uh, they hope to have it out 
before the election, if that gives you any kind of a clue. And was this the one where you may or may not have been playing a certain president of the United States? No, no. Uh, luckily, I, I did not have to pretend to be a president. Oh, good. Uh, I played a uh, an executive, a television executive, who had to deal with uh, a guy who uh, hmm. wanted to become president. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll look okay. forward to those. And people, Again, I can't talk about No, no, it's, it's top secret. People would be wise, though, to get more information and stay up to date on what you're doing by subscribing to Planet Proctor. And that's Planet easy Proctor. enough to do, planetproctor.com. That's right, planetproctor.com. Uh, it, it, I started that <clears throat> during a lull in the Fireside Theater's career, maybe 25 years ago, uh, because I, I just I had to keep writing comedy, uh, or it would it would back up and uh, on me and hurt me, you know. So <laughs> uh, it, it would have been constipated comedy, which is not fun. It's not the right? best. No, so I wanted to keep the comedy flowing, and I started collecting stuff off the internet. Uh, and putting it together in a kind of a newsletter, which uh, I guess is called a blog now. I don't know. And as it progressed, I connected with a wonderful graphic artist named Christopher Gross, who lives up in Lake Arrowhead. And he volunteered his services to start to uh, put in uh, uh, artistic elements to Planet Proctor. And we've had a collaboration now for about 15, 16 years, and it really is an exciting uh, thing to look at. <clears throat> every, I'm about ready to send another one out. And I send one out every month. And it's free. You just subscribe to it. Well, we have, uh, what is it called? Chimp, Chimp Mail, I think, is distributing it now. Yes, yep. But if you go to the website, you'll find a way to sign up for it. Uh, or you can contact me as well at phil.proctoratmac.com, and I'll send you the link. Uh, but anyway, uh, it, I love seeing what he does with it every month. I'll send you the material. Let me clear my throat. <clears throat> Your throat has been cleared, sir. You may continue. Thank you very much. Um, uh, anyway, I just love seeing I, the surprises of the things he comes up with. Uh, the graphics are just mind-boggling. Sign up, get the book, Where's My Fortune Cookie, and keep following the further adventures of Philip Proctor. Phil, it's uh, great again to talk with you. Thanks so much for making time for us, and I, I hope the Grammy thing comes down to less than one vote and you're able to sneak that thing through thank you rich listen i'll let you know what's going on and uh, i'm going to be spending christmas in connecticut so i'll send good thoughts up north to you and the gang we appreciate it thank you again phil be well love to all bill proctor on downtown the podcast our thanks to phil and the great jane seymour for joining us as well and to you for being with us for downtown the podcast brought to you every week by cross insurance where security meets strength